So if you're ever wondering what we do here all week long in between Sundays, that's exactly what we do. I love my team. I love, can I just say I love Sundays? I love the people I work with. I love this church. Um, We have a lot of fun together, and I'm excited for this series. I want to start by by saying this. I love to fly fish. I love fly fishing, but it has to be one of the most ridiculous things that I do. Um, Even before I go fly fishing, like make a plan for a day to go fishing, I check uh, weather, I check stream reports, uh, flows, I check a lot of different things and make all sorts of plans, and then I wake, the day I actually do go fishing, I wake up early, I wake up at like five after seven, which is early for me because I hate waking up early. And, and, and I, what I do when I wake up is I get all the gear that I have and I throw it into my truck. And, and I have so much gear, I literally could probably outfit every single person that I would meet out on the river, even though it's just myself going. And then I drive and get in my truck and I drive upwards of 100 miles to get to just the right spot that's got the right conditions and the hatch and the the water that I want. And then once I get to the river, that's when the real work begins. Getting dressed, putting on all of the junk that comes along with fly fishing. The waders, the wading boots, the vest, the net, the hat, the sunglasses, the forceps, the fly box, the leaders, the floatant, the indicator, the bowling ball, the, you know, like whatever. I, like there is statistically, statistically impossible to remember every single thing that you need for one day of fly fishing. Because I've yet to do it and I've done it a lot. I've yet to, like, ah, oh, I forgot whatever, bug spray, and that one's a bad one. But like the thing about the gear, here's the thing about the gear as well is it's some of the most sophisticated gear on earth and yet no matter what it makes you look like an old man when you put it on there's just no way getting around even if you're a woman you after you're done you know like it's it's just that's what it does and then uh, so I'm all dressed up I'm all suited up and I get to the river and that usually what I do is I'll check water temperature I'll kind of scope things out and I'll start looking for uh, feeding fish or bug activity and that kind of stuff. And then I start to think about fly selection. What fly am I going to use today? Am I going to use a dry fly, a wet fly, or a streamer? Now keep in mind, I have hundreds of each of those three. I, I, have, I have so many of these flies. And if I've decided that I'm going to imitate an aquatic insect, then I have to decide whether I'm going to fish with a, a mayfly, a caddisfly, a stonefly, a midge. And sometimes there's terrestrials around too, and you can use those as well. And now usually when I use Dave Whitlock's approach to fly selection, which talks about, takes into account size and action and texture and shape and color, in that order, size, action, texture, shape, and color. You best not start with color because if you start with color, I did that once on the dream stream. It was not a good day. You know, like it's just, it, all, everything went wrong. I mean, the, the, then, okay, so I'm, I'm rigged up. I'm ready to go. I've got, you know, I've got my stuff and I've decided to use a, what's called a dry dropper rig. More specifically, I'm using what's called a hopper copper dropper rig. And some of you, if just in case you're wondering if, if I'm, I'm completely just making things up at this point, there's actually people nodding their heads. And like, there's fly fishermen that would testify that this is 100% real. So I, I, I cast upstream, I get to the place I want to fish, and I cast upstream, and I cast into a riffle that kind of floats down into a run. 
and the strike, the fish takes my fly right as my dry fly settles into the foam line and the water slows a little bit. I detect a strike and, and I, I slowly, I, I, I swiftly yet gently lift up my, the rod of uh, my, my nine foot four weight rod and I allow the, the fish jumps, you know, jumps away from me and, and the line starts going through my fingers smoothly and I, so I can get the fish onto the reel. And then, you know, the, he takes a run and, and then he takes a jump, which is interesting because it turns out it's like a 16-inch brown trout. And normally, as we know, brown trout don't jump. Usually rainbows are the ones that jump. And so, but this is a leaping brown trout, which is a, just a delight, right? And so he's taking me out, and, we're, and I'm playing him out and playing him out. And then finally, I get him to the net, and I'm delighted because I've got him to the net. And then I'm disappointed because I realize I didn't turn my GoPro on. Dang it. I mean, it's just the worst when that happens. And then... So I pull out my iPhone and I take a couple pictures of the fish and then I do what every fly, good fly fisherman does. I let the fish go. After all that hoopla, from catching just all that work just to catch a trout only to let it go, after all the pomp and circumstance of fly fishing, that's the end result. So after I'm done posting my pictures on Instagram, that's usually about the time I, get, I'm just, I hit my wall and I need to take a nap. So I'll go lay down and take a nap. Sometimes I'll just wake up and go back home. Other times I'll go back out into the river and you know, maybe try doing the whole exercise in futility once again. I love fly fishing. It's the best. But it is convoluted. Now, I have a point, I promise. Here's, here's my point, Okay. <laughs> It's okay for our hobbies to be ridiculous. It's not okay for our faith to be. It's okay for the things we enjoy, like yoga and biking. And, you, know, you maybe have things like that, or you know a friend who's way into it, and you're like, you're crazy. It's okay for us to have things like that. It's okay for our hobbies to be overwhelming to others, but our faith or our expression of faith shouldn't be. Can we just all decide that that's, like, that's something we should avoid when it comes to faith? See, we're in the series, we're starting the series this morning, it's called KISS, and that's short for Keep It Simple Stupid. Now, if you're insulted that I would call you stupid, it's not, it's, it's actually, we thought it was fair game because it's actually a military term. I didn't know this until before. I knew the, the an acronym, but I didn't know it had a military background. It's actually from the Navy in 1960. Uh, and and the, the, the KISS principle, the keep it simple stupid principle, goes like this, that most systems work best if they're kept simple rather than made complicated. Therefore, simplicity should be the key goal in the design or, and unnecessary complexity should be avoided. So keep it simple. And, and, and I think what we're going to propose in this series is that we should do the same when it comes to our faith. We're going to work off of this one premise, this premise that goes like this. While religion can be overwhelming, following God is simple. We're going to revisit this in the next few weeks, that while religion and, and, and Christianity is, falls under that category of religion, can be overwhelming, and Christianity definitely can be overwhelming, following God is actually pretty simple, and it should be simple. So that's the premise that we're working off of and we'll, we'll kind of revisit from time to time. But basically what it comes down to is, is, is 
talking about what is our job descriptions. If you call yourself a Christian, what's your job description? What, what, is, it, what is required of you, of me? And I think this, this, even if you're not a Christian, I think that this series has something for everyone. First of all, if, if you don't go to church or you're, you're, like, you're not sure what you think of church or you've had a, a hard time with religion or organized religion in the past, I'm really glad you're here because I think through the series you'll find this very entertaining as we talk about some of the silly things that we do, especially as Christians. If you're new to church or you're coming back to church or you're kind of you know, checking it out again, giving it another shot, I'm really glad you're here today because my guess is if you're a few weeks into coming back to church, one of the, you might have gotten a little bit overwhelmed by like church and, and what's required of it. And, and what we're going to find today, it's actually probably a lot simpler than it seems. So I'm excited that you're here. But I'm also excited for the person who's a longtime churchy person, somebody who's grown up in the church like myself, because I think this is an important conversation for us to have because honestly, we're part of the problem. We, we, it's not, we didn't do it on purpose, but the truth is, our expression of faith over time, it can get a little bit ridiculous. And for other people, other people, we'll talk about this next week, it can become very overwhelming to see us live our faith out. And so we need to talk about this. And if you've ever wondered how to express your faith in a way that's meaningful to other people outside of your faith, this is a good series to be a part of. Because we're going to talk about it's probably simpler than we think. It's probably easier than we think. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Matthew 22. And if you want to put it on your phone or whatever, you can do that too. Um, and we're going to have the, the, the scripture up on the screen as well. Our, our passage is found in Matthew 22. And before we dive in, I want to give a couple minutes of context leading up to the, the, the passage that we're going to look at. I actually want to rewind from the, so this this story today in Matthew starts around the time of Jesus's life so right you know 0 AD 30 AD somewhere in there 1500 years before that was Moses and Moses uh, Moses led the nation of Israel and and during that time the nation of Israel made a covenant with God that 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 they would be his people and he would be their God and, and part of that covenant was a set of rules uh, that are found in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's those, that's the law. Those are the rules. There's a lot of rules, actually. If you count them up, there's 613 laws that were in the covenant between Israel and, and God, saying, this is, this is yeah, Israel, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. These were laws that covered everything from how they were to worship, how, what they were to eat, what they were going to wear, Sabbath laws, what they were going to do on Sabbath, um, and then even, even handling civil matters and what's legal and what's illegal. And in, in a sense, in the Mosaic Law, we find this original job description for the nation of Israel. Here's what happened over time. The centuries that followed, at leading up to when Jesus came on the scene, the centuries that followed, the, the, what happened was the Jewish people started to ask questions like, okay, but here, so, so we're supposed to keep the Sabbath holy, meaning we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, but what is work? You know, like what constitutes work and what co doesn't? And these are natural questions. These are questions that we probably have asked ourselves about certain laws, but like, where's the line? And so what happened is they started to develop what's called the Midrash or the Midrashim. And that was a set of laws by which the, you could, they were interpreting the, the Mosaic laws. 
And, and what happened is that just kept growing. As the centuries went on, there's more and more uh, that they would add to it. So again, Sabbath laws, how many steps could one take during the Sabbath? They actually sketched that out at one point in time. What, uh, um, how many letters could one write before that's actually work? And they started holding that as, you know, like, as, as, as not laws, but more sub-laws to the, the Mosaic law. And what, as you can imagine, things got really complex. Things over time, they were not simple. What, basically, what, by the time that, that Jesus gets on the scene, what had, ter- what had started out as 613 laws had become thousands of laws that would be very difficult to keep track of. And not only that, not everybody agreed, right? Because it's like, I, don't, I see it differently. I interpret it differently. So when Jesus gets on the scene, he's surrounded, you know, there's rabbis and there's uh, experts of the law, there's Pharisees, there's Sadducees, and a lot of the conversation that they had was, well, well how do you take this law? How do you read this law in Moses? And they would discuss it. So naturally, and this is leading up to where we are today, naturally, when Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, you know, he takes disciples and people start calling him rabbi. And not only that, but people start saying he's maybe the Messiah. All of these religious rulers are very interested. They start asking him questions. What do you think about this, Jesus? What do you think about that? And, and so they, they start bringing him into conversation. But the problem with Jesus is he's kind of complicated. There was sometimes when they would ask him a question, and it was as if Jesus, he was like, yeah, I uphold that law. The Mosaic law, whatever the, and not only does it, you've heard it said that Moses said this about adultery, I say this. Not only would he uphold some laws, he'd actually raise the bar on some of them. And then on the flip side, he would almost completely ignore other ones. You know, so like Jesus, they found Jesus difficult to understand and complicated. He, you know, he would, he, at one moment, he would be you know, upholding a law, and the next moment, he would be walking too much on the Sabbath with his disciples. And they'd even like go through a field and just start eating some of the, the, the grain in the field, which was work. And they're like, what the heck? You can't do that on the Sabbath. You know, the, the Pharisees, they would, they would end up fasting for different religious festivals. Meanwhile, Jesus is over here with his buddies feasting. And they're like, wait, wait, why are you doing that? Another one is that they, they would stay meticulously clean, the religious leaders, because of all these laws on, on ceremonial cleanliness. And Jesus <laughs> didn't seem to worry about any of that. He hung out with a whole bunch of unclean people, sinners, and associated with them in such a way that he would, he would actually touch them. <laughs> and then he'd have the audacity, to then, you know, later on in, that, in, the, in the afternoon, he'd go to church, he'd go to, he'd go to the temple, unclean. And then while he's at the temple, he'd find another person who needs to be healed, who's probably unclean as well, and he'd touch them too. And then heal them. And guess what? All of that happened on the Sabbath. And they didn't know what to make of him, and it drove them crazy. And if you read the Gospels, you'll see the religious leaders go from intrigued by Jesus to very frustrated with Jesus to the point where, like, we got to get rid of this guy. And originally, their plan for getting rid of Jesus was just to, he was so, their plan was basically to see if they could ask him questions that would get him into trouble. Because he was so unorthodox on certain things that they thought with the right questions, if we can just ask the right questions, in time, Jesus would eventually hang himself. Their strategy was simply ask questions, feed rope. 
to Jesus. Ask questions. You know, Jesus, what do you think about this? And feed rope, and eventually Jesus would trip up or say something that was against, that, that all they, then all they'd have to do is go, oh, can you believe Jesus? I can't believe, did you hear what Jesus said? He doesn't like Moses. He said he didn't like Moses. You know, like they, they were looking for a way to hang him with his words. The problem was, if you've read the, the Gospels, it never worked. They're always the ones that came away looking like idiots, and he looked like the super smart guy every time. And it got bad. It kind of came to a head one day in, in the passage that we're going to look at today. And this, this is where we pick up, Matthew twenty-two, thirty-four. It says this, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, meaning they had brought these questions before him, and he refuted them in, you know, in such a way that they that didn't work. The Pharisees got together and said, don't send a boy to do a man's job. <laughs> Let's do this. We'll, we'll take care of this. And, and, and it says this, verse 35, one of them, an expert in the law, meaning he's no dummy, tested Jesus with this question. And honestly, this question to me is a real humdinger. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus, Jesus, you know, you know, there's only 613 laws plus these other, you know, thousands of other laws. What do you think's the greatest? Just, you know, off the top of your head. Can I just say I'm really glad I'm not Jesus? I'm nothing like him. Like, when I'm posed with questions like this, I'm like, ah, um, what's my favorite color? I don't know, blue. I mean, yellow. You know, like, just, I don't know what to do with questions like that. Not Jesus. Jesus knew, I mean, Jesus was, was great in this environment. He fires right back, and Jesus replied, verse 37, love, everybody say that word, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the bottom line for this whole entire series. We can sum up, if you, if you are in Christ, you call yourself a Christian, you can sum up, I know there's a lot to this thing called faith. You can sum up what it means to be a Christian with one question. What does love require of me? You know, we got church, and we got books, and we got conferences, and we got all this stuff. But in the end, the measure of our faith boils down simply to our ability to, 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 to love the person next to us. What does love require of me? It, it's, you know, Jesus says, it's so simple, love God and love others. To which, honestly, if there's some of us here, we might be saying, time out, time out, Jesus. Okay, okay. If that's true, why is the Bible so big? Like, why, why? It's like that. And especially if we're men, like, we don't like thick books. We like thick steaks, the thick books. No, I, I, like, I like my books thin and well done, and I like my steaks thick and rare. But, like, that's a different thing. We might say to Jesus, well, it can't be that simple. I mean, you've got, you know, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal. You know, you've got church in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I feel like Jesus' reply to all of that would be like, yep, it's true. We've got all of these things, but 
I think all you need is love. I think Jesus would say, all you need is love. He would play this song. You gotta put a good Beatles song in every sermon. It's just good. Yeah. Thanks, Luke. That's that's good. Okay, that's that's. Do you do you do this every time? You lo- I lost my train of thought. Stop it. <laughs> Jesus would be like, I know, I know, no, 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 I know. There's 613 laws plus all these other laws. But the reason all you need is love, and this isn't Jesus just being hippie simple, okay? This is, like, like if, if, honestly, if we sat down and said, Jesus, well, how, how do you mean it's all, all you mean is love? He's like, okay, take example. Let, let's do some thou shalt nots. Talk, why, do you know why you should not lie? And we'd, we'd raise our hand, like, oh, oh, I got this one. Because it's like one of the Ten Commandments, Jesus. Thou shalt not lie, right? That's like, that's right in the Bible, right? That's what we, we you know, like it's very simple. And, 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 and he would say, he would say, oh, and, and there's other verses too. Thou shalt not lie, and, and God does not like, he, he's displeased by dishonest scales. There's something like that in Proverbs, and I think in Revelation it says that liars go to hell. It, and Jesus would be like, I, yeah, maybe it says that, but it's actually much simpler than that. You know why you're not supposed to lie? Because when you don't tell the truth to somebody, you hurt them. When, when, here, here's another reason why you, you want to tell the truth to somebody. is if, if you lie to them, what you're doing is you're withholding the truth from them because you're doing something that's best for you. And that's not love. Yeah, yeah the Bible has some things to say about do not lie, but the reason that the Bible has to say those things is because if you lie, if we lie to one another, it does not promote love and truth among us. It doesn't promote trust between you and me. See, that's different. That's why love is the basis of that. Here's here's another here's another one. Do you know why we're supposed to be generous? Oh, oh, Jesus, I got this one. Okay, we're supposed to be generous because if I give, if I'm faithful with the little that I have, God will give me more. That's what the Bible says. Okay, Jesus, let me not take that one because that one makes me feel self-centered. Let's do this one. I think the Bible says something about God loves a cheerful, I think that's the word, cheerful giver. And I want, I want God to like me. So, you know, like, like, I want to, I'll be a generous giver. Yeah, the Bible, Jesus would say, yeah, the Bible says this, but do you know why we're supposed to be generous to one another? He's like, it's pretty simple, actually. Because when we're generous to one another, it helps one another. Uh, uh, let me slow it down a little bit. When, we're, when I'm generous with the things that I give to you, it helps you. See, the basis of all of that law, of, of lying, of all of these laws, is love. One more. Do you know why we shouldn't talk bad about someone? Because it says in the Bible, thou shalt not gossip your neighbor? No. The Bible does say some things about gossip, but even if it didn't, at the basis of it, the reason we shouldn't talk bad about someone is that it hurts them. And when we talk bad about somebody to other people, it lowers their view of that person and it makes it harder for them to love that person. 
See, the basis of every rule, and I was thinking about it this week, I was like, it's almost like you got the 613 laws of the Old Testament, and you got snapshots of don't lie, don't do this, don't commit adultery, but behind every one of those snapshots, in every one of those snapshots, is a photobomb of love. Love photobombs, every snapshot, every law. It's behind the scenes, it's the basis for it. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. And the second commandment is, is, is this, love your neighbor as yourself. All we need to do to keep it simple is ask the question, what does love require of me? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that freeing? Jesus goes on to say this in verse 40. And again, remember, he's talking to an expert in the law. And he says this, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Yeah, 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 there's all these different laws, but all of them hang on this one commandment. Love God. Love others. What's cool is this is the book of Matthew. In the book of Mark, Mark also records this encounter with, with, a, with a Pharisee. And the guy in Mark, he's like, man, you're right. And he like basically repeats back everything that Jesus said. Yeah, you're right. Love the Lord your God. You're, you're right in saying this. It's like he has this aha moment <laughs> that behind all of this is love. And I love what Jesus says next. He, said, he doesn't say to the man, he's like, yeah, he doesn't say this. He doesn't say, of course I'm right. I'm the son of God. No, 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 no. He loves the man. He says, he says this, word, this phrase. This is one of my favorite phrases in the New Testament. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. This, this man who came in to trap Jesus. <laughs> in the end, Jesus is saying, yes, you are not far. Because that's what happens when we keep it simple and we just simply love. We make the, 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 yeah, we've got all of our stuff and we'll talk about some of that stuff next week, but at the heart of it, we love. We are asking the question, what does love require of me? We not only can keep it simple because of what Jesus taught. I mean, he, he, there are so many passages, passages we could have looked at this morning where Jesus is just boiling it down to love, boiling it down to love. We, we, we should be encouraged to love like that because of what Jesus taught. But we're also encouraged to love like this because of what he did. See, Jesus, Jesus, he embodied a love. He, embodied, he kept it simple. And, and when, when, let me start over. When God, see, God is asking us to do something that he is willing to do himself. See, when God asked, what does love require of me? It cost him his son. And when Jesus asked, okay, what does love require of me? It cost him his life. And he died on the cross for our sin. And this is, this is what's beautiful about the Christian faith. Is when Jesus died on the cross, it was as if he said, okay, you no longer have to worry about where, what your standing is with God, whether you've kept enough of the rules. 
I'm going to take care of that. I'm going I'm to clean up that mess. And I'm going to free you up to just simply love the way that I love. Your new job description as a Christian is just to simply love God and love others. And what, while Jesus' teachings encourage us to do that, his sacrifice frees us up to do that. Isn't that awesome? You no longer, if you're in Christ, you don't have to worry if you're okay with God. You don't have to worry if you, you don't have to do things to, in order for God to like you. He likes you. He loves you. His, his son tells you so. His sacrifice tells us how crazy. When somebody dies for you, you don't have to worry if they're for you or not. What does love require of me? Here's how I want to end. Like I said in the beginning, I think this series has something for all of us. Again, if you've had a hard time with faith in the past, I'm really glad you're here. And, and honestly, I, I, I think there'll be more for you here. Another thing, if, um, if you're new to faith and you're coming back, um, I hope this is a breath of fresh air as you're trying to sort out what it means to be a Christian, that it's simply just about this, that, that honestly, like you might not know what you believe about the Bible or, you know, how the world was made or like was there was a really a flood that covered the whole thing and like all the animals coming from two animals. Like if that, if, honestly, if that's a problem for you and you're, and you're sorting that out, I, I have good news. You, you might not know what to believe, but we oftentimes, 90% of the time, we know what to do. We know what's, you know, like what is required of us for love, to, in order to love people. And we can, we can do that. So come back next time. Um, here, here's another, if you're a person who's a church person, you grew up in the church and, and that kind of thing, I really want you to come back. And, and, and can I just shoot straight with you? I, I'm re- I was really afraid in prep- preparing this series that I was going to lose you. Because in a series that's called Keep It Simple, I'm afraid that it was going to be too simple. But can I just say this? I think that church people, people like yourself and myself, have the most to gain from something like from keeping it simple. And I have a, I have a theory on this, and I'm not going to tell you why until next week. So come back. Honestly, I think we have a lot to gain from a series like this. I think a lot of us could benefit from going, coming back to the basics. And all joking aside, Here's why I also want you to come back because what if we got this right as a church? Like, what would it look like for a group of people to be committed to just, uh, yeah, yeah, we express our faith in many ways, but the biggest way we express our faith is we just simply ask the question, what does love require of us? What What would happen in our families? If even just, what would happen in your family if just in the next month, Every single one of your interactions with one another went through the filter of, okay, 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 okay. But what does love require of me? That's a good family to be a part of. What would happen, imagine what would happen in our town if we as a church, you know, asked what it's, you know, like, like we said, okay, what does love require of us? What would our town might receive out of our generosity, our joy, our love? Oh, by the way, that's called Scatter Church. <laughs> and if you're new to us, it's something we do 
every fourth Sunday of the month. We come here at 10 o'clock, and there's something we'll be doing. That, you know, that we, it's basically us as a staff and as a church asking the question, okay, 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 what does love require of us? And then we go do that, and it's a blast. What would it look like if we as a group of people put this question front and center as we express our faith. I'm excited for this conversation. It's at the heart of who we are as a church. It's why we started a church a year and a half ago, as we said, we want to be a type of people who keep it simple. Can I say a prayer for us? Lord, thank you for your son who had a way of just kind of coming into a situation and and, and seeing things clearly and making them clear. I pray that you would do that in my life. Lord, as a pastor, there's all sorts of different things going on and all sorts of shenanigans that I can hide behind. And and I pray that my faith would be expressed in in a simple, loving way to those who are around me. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would keep it simple, that we would be the type of people who ask the question, what does love require of us in every single interaction? Lord, I I believe you will meet us there. I believe that we have much to learn in that space. Be with us in the weeks to come. Thank you you for these people. Thanks for this time, this space to be here. Amen.